Hi everyone, welcome to the Solar View podcast. I'm Tom Miller, editor of Solar View magazine, and today we're sharing another Baywa RE Solar Town Hall. Today's town hall was on virtual selling and virtual site assessments. It was a really great conversation. We had a few solar contractors come on along with a solar edge sales expert and a CALSA member joined us at the end with some interesting new permitting data coming out from California. For this particular town hall, I really wish we had had more time. I think we got through about a third of my questions. Um, so if you found this topic valuable, just let us know and we'll try to do another podcast or a panel or something on this topic. So please let us know. A reminder that Baywa RE and Unirac have partnered together to offer solar contractors free permitting design services through May 15th, 2020. So make sure you check that out. And we have our next Friday mindfulness session this Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific. And you can find the links to those in the show notes. So please reach out and let us know what you would like us to cover in future town halls. We're really pushing to get these out each week and would like to make them as valuable as possible. So yeah, let us know what topics you would like to hear about. As always, Baywa is here for you. These are challenging times, so reach out and let us know what you need. You can reach us at solar-distribution.com. Thanks, and let's get to the show. So I would like to kick off the town hall today and bring up David Dunlap. Um, he's going to give an update on Baywa's operational status and also answer a supply question. Uh, David, thanks for joining us and, and take it away. Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, um, I'm very happy to announce that no changes in terms of our um, complete uh, open for business, op full operations across our warehouses, our carrier network, and all of our staff uh, still available by phone and email, um, all working remotely and, and available. Um, we have noticed a few uh, local jurisdictional issues with deliveries. Um, certain carriers, um, e even some of the parcel carriers, um, having difficulty reaching their actual delivery contact or the address um, if they're in a highly restricted area, but the services are running. Um, so we may be reaching out to you and asking for um, uh, maybe a, a backup contact, for instance, to make sure that appointments can be set or the deliveries can be met in person. But everything is working. Uh, uh, all areas are operational. Great. Thanks, David. Um, before we let you go, um, you've had a lot of conversations with manufacturer partners and the feedback you're getting is there is no immediate supply concern. Uh, supply looks really solid through Q3 and Q4. David Chang from LG was on the show last week and he reiterated those sentiments. But interestingly, we are getting questions uh, about supply concerns from our partners and others. Can you give us any insight? What is driving that concern? And just to reiterate, we don't have any supply issues through the end of 2020, right? Correct. Um, I believe we're, we're all collectively in good shape and certainly Baywa is in great shape in terms of available inventory today and the outlook is, is great through the end of the year. Um, I would be interested in, in the conversation today um, for people to provide some of their local uh, input or cases where they're um, feeling insecure. Um, and I think what we need to do is be clear about um, whether we're talking about availability right now in the moment. Um, some of the electrical distributors that have had to close their doors for their local brick and mortar shops or have gone to will call only, there may be a difference in terms of the experience of being able to just drive to a location and pick it up um, versus um, planning a little bit further in advance to make sure it's available. Um, so I wanna make sure that we're addressing concerns uh, of that nature um, as well as the sort of forward-looking concern if um, 
people are more worried about having available supply in June, say, when they're anticipating being uh, back up and running with the full crews and will I have product then? Um, I think a good quick analogy is thinking about the toilet paper concern, right? If, a, if your local store had a weekly truckload delivery of toilet paper that was pretty much keeping pace with the regular demand, and all of a sudden this week, um, people buy two or three times as much as normal, that store is going to be out before the end of the week. It doesn't mean that there isn't another truck coming next week. And of course, they're going to be looking at, do I now bring in two trucks a week or do I just bring in a truck every five days and try and smooth out that role um, as, we, as we react? Um, the more complicated the supply chain, the, the longer some of those um, reactions are, but we are just trying to smooth out those bumps in the road. Um, so that's where good communication, being clear about whether we're talking about an immediate concern, you know, I need product here today and you're out, so I'm concerned, or, you know, is it related to the planning? But I do think that, um, you know, right now, most of the solar distribution channel is uh, kind of delaying inbounds or canceling some immediate orders and trying to spread them out into Q later in Q2 and into Q3. That should provide for um, a smooth transition through what we anticipate being a little bit of a shortage from Southeast Asia on the module side in that same time frame. I think the, the current inventory should hold us through if we don't go crazy and try and blow it all out and then allow that, that gap to come later. Okay, great. Thanks for those thoughts, David. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And if customers have questions, um, please add them to the chat window. Um, so now, I would like to switch uh, tracks a little bit and pull up Boaz Soifer. And Boaz, before we get to the main topic, um, I was hoping you could give us a market update. The, the solar outlook last week felt optimistic, though definitely tough times ahead. But how are you feeling this week? What are you wrestling with as you try to steer the Baywatch ship? Um, maybe let's start with that and then uh, talk about your market update. Sure. So I think I talked, um, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before about seeing kind of the response effort in one week chunks. Um, and I think that was a little optimistic. I'm now thinking about it in two week chunks. Um, so, so first there's the, the getting organized and then um, starting to execute in terms of crisis response. Um, and, and so a lot of you, I'm sure, are doing the same things we are, right? You're, you're developing um, scenarios and you're developing methods to keep those scenarios up to date. And then you're probably responding to those scenarios um, and developing methods for those response, responses. And I, I want to emphasize methods because because we have to cycle these activities, having a method and knowing who owns what step and all those things are um, really important. Um, you probably have daily dashboards, you probably have weekly dashboards of you know, um, data that you need to look at in order to keep your scenarios updated and drive actions. Um, so we're pretty much in that condition now. We obviously always have kinks to work out and, and improve those methods. Um, but um, now I think it's time, even though it's really difficult to do, do it, to take your COVID response team um, and get it running independently so that you can then have a, 
uh, plan ahead team um, that's thinking about where's the industry going to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months from now, and look at the commonalities across your scenarios and make some design choices about um, how you want to meet the industry where it's going to be and, and how you want to meet society where it's going to be. And I think it's early to do that, but it will also be too late to do that before we know it, right? Um, so I think some of the early um, indicators that are coming out, that, you know, things you want to keep in mind about your go-forward um, strategy, your, your planning ahead, are how, are how are people relating to resilience and is energy resilience part of that? Um, is distancing going to continue to be part of how we operate post-COVID um, how, how might financing change or does it need to change, right? On one hand, tax equity is um, devolving, right? As, as um, consumer um, tax appetite um, is, is probably being reduced. Uh, but at the same time, it's possible leasing and PPA companies might have trouble raising tax, tax equity too. So there's a, there's a tension there and thinking about how, um, how consumers are going to want to finance solar in the future might be, might be important. Um, that's a, a little tactical. I want to try to get to kind of the macro trends that are emerging and see if we can design for that. Okay. Did you want to add um, a market update in there? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, this is going to be different from um, for, for each of our um, customer contractors, depending on where in the country they are. So, so I can provide kind of a, a meta view that, that aggregates that together um, and that, that's useful in ways. Um, Green Tech Media is basically saying the best case scenario for Q2 in residential is about 250 megawatts nationally. And that's down from about 600 last year and down from a forecast of about 700. So that's a 55% cut or so um, for Q1. And then over the rest of the year, uh, basically they're saying 2020 is going to be down between 16 and 34% compared to 2019 in residential. Um, we have talked to several hundred customers and asked them how their business is performing today compared to last year. And we've also talked with all of our manufacturer partners who all talk to analysts and we talk to analysts and um, we get some feedback from them as well. And, and if we average all of that together, it basically looks like Q2 is down 50% from 2019. Um, and then there are different scenarios for Q3 and Q4. Really depending on, we have to model two different events. One is the public health crisis and its impact on our simple ability to install. And then there's an economic recovery phase that might have a variety of different shapes that need to be considered. So when we model it, we're looking at um, during the public health crisis, how throttled will solar contractors be in their ability to install and is 50% deep enough? And then during the recovery, um, with, with um, additional solar incentives coming out in another stimulus, 
there's a different scenario from no solar incentives. And then there's, is the economy going to recover more or less in Q4 to 2019 levels? Um, or is it going to uh, be sometime in 2021 or later that we get that recovery? And there's no crystal ball for that right now. Um, analysts are saying different things every day about the, the shape of the recovery. So that all plays into the modeling. Um, so, so our three scenarios basically are, are um, almost flat with last year is our best case and uh, down about 20% um, is our medium case and down about 45% um, um, is our, our worst case for um, for 2020 compared to 2019. Okay, great. Thanks for that market update. Yeah. Um, I'd like to switch gears now and set the stage for today's topic, remote selling and remote site assessments. Um, and because of the COVID crisis, we're obviously very focused on this topic right now. Um, but why do you think it's taken so long for us to talk about broad implementation of these virtual tools? Um, or do you think it's just temporary and we'll be back to face-to-face -face selling as soon as we can? You know, where would you like to see the industry go in terms of our move to these digital platforms? So I, I would want to reframe that question, Tom, um, because I think there's a trap in thinking about digitalization or digital transformation as a strategy. Um, and I think it's really valuable to see it more as a set of tools that support a strategy. So I would say we haven't made a lot of transition in construction in general and in solar in aspects of how we're digitally transforming the, the value chain, the customer experience, um, things like that. And I think that's fine. I think digital transformation happens in response to customer needs being um, reframed and understood in different ways by, um, by innovators. So um, if selling door to door works, then there's not a compelling reason to change it. But here we are in a, in a pressure cooker that's forcing us to relook at that and figure out how to sell virtually, right? Um, and likewise, the, the site assessment being reframed, and I know we're going to talk about that today, um, uh, the, the purchasing process um, being reframed, the design process being reframed, permitting, right? All of those are opportunities for digital transformation, and I'm completely confident that they're going to be addressed um, according to um, the, the demand for them to be addressed in, in um, more transformed ways and the innovators who are positioned to drive the transformations doing it. But really the, the key driver is customer experience and creating customer value. But di digitizing a process um, when that process doesn't directly create customer value is only an efficiency move. And, um, and so saying, we need an app or we need a tool or we need a, a whatever without thinking about the customer value that that's driving um, doesn't necessarily result in the transformation that, that we look for. So I'm perfectly content with the rate of change um, in the solar industry. And I believe that um, the, the COVID crisis is going to drive a wave of 
um, transformations that we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg now. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about virtual selling and remote site assessment as two kind of leading points in that process. Uh, but the whole value chain is really up for grabs now. And I think that's really exciting. Right. Great. Thanks, Boaz. Appreciate your perspective. Um, I'd like to now introduce our guests and, and get into the discussion. So we'll bring them up on the screen. And on the line, we have uh, Michelle Spina. She's an uh, instructional designer trainer at SolarEdge. We have Joseph Maramati. He's the co-founder of Ipsun Solar in Washington, D.C. Got Vaughn Woodruff. He's the founder and CEO of InSource Renewables. Shane Helley. He's the project manager of Porter Electric, LLC. And we have Benjamin Davis. He's a policy associate at CALSA, the California Solar and Storage Association. Um, and he can answer questions on permitting and other resources in California. So if you have questions for our panelists um, on remote selling, remote sales, uh, and policy, uh, I'm sorry, permitting questions, please add those in the chat. And you can also tweet them at Solar Town Hall, hashtag Solar Town Hall. And I, Vaughn, I'd like to start with you. Um, and before I get to my first remote sales question, you and I chatted briefly on Monday, and you mentioned that you and your team uh, had turned a corner, and you realized that now we're in a marathon and we're, we're not we're not in a sprint. What brought you and your team to that realization on Monday? So, I mean, I, I think we started, started to show up a little bit last week. I think the you know first couple of weeks of this uh, disruption was one in which. You know, things were new. Everyone's bonding together to pull together, make sure everybody's supported. Uh, and like human brain does, we start to get used to patterns and try and find normalcy. And I think people are realizing it's not all that normal to be sitting at home, not seeing people and <laughs> having conversations. Right. Um, you know, we start to see some, start to see, you know, just a little bit of how that's affecting everybody's just kind of outlook and et cetera. So, you know, I think the big piece is we talked about is like, this is going to be a marathon. I mean, we're in a disruptive industry. We're used to dealing with disruption. I think this has been a particularly challenging disruption. Um, and so, yeah, and I want to, you know, thank you all for putting these together to kind of help all of us kind of talk through these things and see how other folks are dealing with it. Yeah. Well, great to have you. Um, so, you know, InSource, your company um, has a large service territory. And can you talk about your move to remote sales? Uh, what challenges were you trying to solve? You know, what have you learned along the way? Totally. So, um, you know, we've been around for a bit over a decade. And early on, we're primarily in solar water heating in which remote sales are really challenging because, you know, it's not as plug and play as PV is. And, you know, uh, everybody's basement was a little bit different. And we spent a lot of time early on just going out and driving all over the place where uh, we're located in the second most rural congressional district in the country. Um, we're the oldest state in the union. And so that, that technology challenges are there, distance challenges are there. Um, and with solar water heating, just having to get out and see things to get accurate numbers was a really challenging piece for us. Um, when I went out to a NABCEP conference, I think five years ago, and Solar Census was there and Eagle View and all these folks that were showing all these great tools for LIDAR data for solar mapping of roofs and being able to pull out measurements. And I was like, man, for our service territory, that looks like it's going to be awesome. And then it's like, yeah, you all aren't going to be building in rural Maine anytime soon, these databases, are you? <laughs> and so, um, you know, we had to figure out another way to do it. And 
Boaz is dead on on his assessment of remote sales is, you know, it's not really about the technology. It's really about how you utilize that technology for value for the customer. And so that early on, we first looked at it to say, what are the technological challenges that we have, especially being in a very rural area? And so we started, you know, we started since we don't have some of those other data sets, we started really doing digging and finding, you know, property tax maps for municipalities or for the state, you know, real estate photos that come up there, looking at real estate listings, everything that we could do to get as much information as possible uh, at that site. The nice piece about what we do is, you know, most of the things can be seen from outside. It's the electrical interconnection and you know, as long as you narrow that down into that basket of, you know, what you're likely going to run into, you can, we're usually within a couple hundred bucks on every remote, remote sales proposal that we do. Um, but at the end of the day, the big challenge wasn't the technology. It was how do we take a population that's generally older and how, and our big, our business is really built on trust. It's how do we use these tools to build trust. And so what we ended up doing with that was we really funneled our sales uh, proposal pipeline to have a lot of tools in the background that get folks to somebody on the phone who's one of the most experienced folks in our company, depending upon the technology we're working with, early in the process to have a conversation, to use those tools and realize the limitations of them so that we can say those like, listen, you know, nine times out of 10, we can come out of this thing with a proposal that's going to be dead on. But, you know, yours is your house is particularly challenging. I can't see a street level view. The shading is a little bit, you know, I, I could be off. And we tend to do something that a lot of salespeople would probably slap me aside the head to say, which is we're conservative early on. We'll give them a higher price early on because that trust factor is such a big piece. And then anytime building trust, it's really how you use that technology to listen and to hear priorities and to help the customer problem solve. Right. And as Boaz has talked about, the opportunities that we have here um, to really build, especially for smaller companies that are in market. I mean, Maine's a different market than California where people are, you know, no one's knocking on doors here. Yeah. But in those great markets to differentiate with trust and expertise becomes a really good opportunity. Yeah, along those lines, I want to come back to that trust question because I think that's really interesting when it comes to the the, the digital tools. Um, but Joe, I want to bounce over to you. Can you? You're in D.C., so you're in a very different uh, kind of region than than Vaughn is. Can you talk about, um, you know, what are your customers' priorities and, and how are you addressing them in the remote design and selling process? Sure. Yeah, it, was, it was interesting listening to Vaughn because we're kind of in the opposite situation where we're in one of the densest parts of the country, uh, lots of traffic, and we're serving D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So our office is located in central D.C., but it sometimes can be two hours to go 20 miles to get to somebody's house. Right. So we've been doing remote selling uh, since day one. And uh, I think it's really a value add for everybody uh, because we can convey the full value proposition to somebody and we can tell the story of the company and we don't have to schedule a time to come out to somebody's home. Uh, where in the DC area, a lot of people are very busy. They have tight schedules. It's hard to get to their homes. So we've been selling since day one uh, virtually on Zoom and Google Hangouts and we've had good luck with it. Um, I think our conversion rate is probably a little bit lower than it is in person. But like I said, we can convey uh, the full value proposition and the story of our company really well uh, virtually. And I think we can build trust too. 
So uh, that part of the transition was pretty seamless because it's something we've been honing for a long time. Yeah, real quick, what are the tools that you're using in that uh, initial assessment? So we are using SolarGraph uh, for our proposals. And it's, it's a great tool because you can make changes in real time to the design. So you can send a URL once you've designed a system to the customer. And if they want to move panels around, if they want to add panels, if they want to change equipment, you can do that on the installer side and then they can refresh their screen and see the changes in price and design and layout on the customer side. So that's been a huge asset for us to be able to do virtuals um, because you can make changes so quickly and because a customer can see the changes you're making in real time. Um, I mentioned Zoom and Google Hangouts. Uh, we also um, use Eagle View. So uh, using Eagle View allows us to make sure that the design we're doing in Solar Graph matches up because Eagle View shows the obstructions and all the measurements. Um, so that's been huge. And then one thing we learned over time was that rather than jumping right into the proposal, we really needed to tell the story of the company um, because we're a B corporation, because we're an Amicus company, because we're Tesla certified. Uh, we have uh, a good story to tell. So we put together a PowerPoint presentation that we uh, begin every virtual presentation with. So we can tell the story of, our, of the company, what our values are, uh, what service we provide. So before we take 10 minutes to tell the story of the company, so we can share a little bit more about ourselves. Great. Michelle, um, I'd like to go to you now. For someone not so familiar with remote sales, um, you know, taking what Joe was talking about, can you walk us through your recommendations for setting up that initial sales call? It seems like you are really focused on process. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to set the expectations with the customer on what that remote selling um, process will be. So that initial phone call with that customer is really around letting them know the duration of the of the call you know 25 to 30 minutes in a comfortable setting that you're going to be non-distracted with um you know tell them to have their webcam on I, I love joe's perspective as well but i think um in terms of these remote selling capabilities people now are seeing that webcams are very helpful with building that trust initially um, also getting utility usage prior. So on that initial phone call, asking that customer to send over their usage is helpful so that preliminary proposals can be created and really just setting those expectations with the customer. I think it's important too at that initial phone call to, if you have sent them a calendar invite for the appointment with the link to the virtual platform, whether you're using Zoom or Google, have them check it when you're on the phone with them for that initial phone call. So you're not having to deal with technical issues, trying to get into the appointment when it's time for the appointment. Yeah. Yeah. I think those technical issues are, are a big question in my head, especially when I think about dealing with technical issues in my parents. Like if I was trying to sell my parents solar, like I don't know how I do it really. Um, Shane, I want to bounce over to you. Um, are you guys doing a bunch of remote sales um, or is it still mostly face-to-face? -face? What's, what's your uh, process there? Um, yeah, I mean, when we do the initial call, I mean, all of us, right, use a design software typically with some kind of map service. Um, in central Illinois, they're not that accurate. So we do do initial off of that. Um, and Street View, Zillow, wherever we can get information, 
from them, but typically on that initial call, we are getting the utility. And then what I'm doing now is also, if I can kind of help, have them help me do a soft survey of the area. Like if I can get pictures of their panel or maybe rafters, whatever they're comfortable with. Um, because I mean, it's each customer, but are they comfortable with us still coming to the home? Yeah. Know, after we get to that point and we are doing a remote for the sales right now, but I also agree that it does affect on the closes. I think having a salesperson that is good in person definitely closes more, but still what is your comfortable, what is your customer comfortable with? Yeah, Michelle, um, what pushback do you get from people about remote sales? Like I, I can imagine some sales reps are like, there's no way I can close mm -hmm. this deal without being face-to-face. -face. What do you say to them? I think that there's two opportunities that we need to realize right now um, is that a lot of sales reps are used to not being able to meet with customers because of time constraints um, or because of the fact that, um, you know, we, we have objections all the time from customers and the advantage we have right now is that these customers do have time to meet with us. Um, so creating that, um, you know, that environment that you can actually have a sales consultation with somebody over a virtual setting. Um, again, the webcam is very helpful. It's important to tell the sales reps, and this is what I tell them, you're not reinventing the wheel. Um, I've talked to a lot of business owners in the past week and they always go back to, this is not our business model. We're not going to move to it. Um, Vaughn had a really good point that they need to realize that it is now a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and I think that a lot of business owners are still in the mindset that they're going to get back in the home soon. What we don't know is what even after COVID, what impact this is going to have um, on people wanting others to come to their house. But again, the opportunity too is that um, smart energy in general is an innovative industry. So people are more you know, susceptible to being okay to get on a virtual platform. We also have the advantage with COVID right now that everybody's been forced to use a virtual platform in their work environment. So they may have not had the being comfortable on a virtual platform prior, and I agree with that, but now we all have to get on Zoom whether we're an, you know, an elementary school teacher, like Tom, you said your parents, you know, I taught my mom how to use Zoom this weekend. <laughs> and right. I think everybody's in that mindset right now. So we're at that advantage currently. Cool. We um, just had a question come through from Brian uh, about site efficiency. Joe, maybe I'll bounce this over to you. Um, the question is, what are people using for site efficiency for remote designs and proposals? We, we use Pathfinder. I know you use Aurora, Joe. Um, they say we haven't found Aurora. It, it's not accurate enough. What, what are you finding? Actually, we're using Eagle View, uh, and we've been really happy with the Eagle View. So the, the way our, our process works is we use SolarGraph, which is pretty accurate, um, but we like to use Eagle View to corroborate what we designed in SolarGraph because it has boundaries on it. It has the exact roof measurements, which we've found to be very reliable. It has where all the obstructions are. And then we put the, uh, uh, the file that we get, the CAD file from EagleView into Solar Design Tool, which is uh, another tool that, that you can use to uh, do a layout that's a little bit more precise. Uh, and we've had great luck with that. We've, had, we've seen our change orders go way, way down. 
um, by selling a solar graph, but then confirming the design in a combination of Eagle View and Solar Design Tool. Cool. Um, Vaughn, you mentioned uh, in our chat on Monday that you had some alternative sources of data that you were collecting. Can you talk a little bit about those? Maybe those have applications for, for our uh, attendees. Sure. Um, you know, so folks who fall, like I said earlier, some of the, some of the databases and the other, other platforms don't necessarily play out for us. Um, so a lot of, you know, some of the larger municipalities will have um, databases uh, in terms of property cards, things like that. They can be searched via GIS in Maine. We actually have an aggregated one so that um, we can go through the whole state. And if the municipality has that, that can give us, I mean, some of this is also about putting folks with experience uh, in that assessment role so that they, you know, once you've seen enough of these homes uh, or businesses and know, you know, kind of the lay of the land for what the area looks like versus what it looks like on the ground when you get out there with a, with a sun eye or something along those lines, that can be helpful. Um, we use a lot of the Google products uh, in terms of if Project Sunroofs around, we got a couple of municipalities that have that. That's free. I think, you know, one of the things we talked about, Tom, is I think right now uh, we're Yankees, we're tightwads. You know, the, the thought of spending money uh, at a time when things are uncertain, I think, for folks is probably daunting with the unknown that's out there. And I think it's really important to vet and figure out you know, as you move into this, what tools can do the best work for you. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what the customer experience looks like um, and making sure that you can get the level of accuracy that you need to get there. Um, like I said, we, we do a lot of aerial. We, we looked at some of these others and found that off of some of the Google mapping programs, we can get measurements that are just as good as we need for what we're doing. Um, you know, real estate listings, uh, they are some even two to three year old listings that you can still get information off of, uh, out in the world. It's not, obviously not going to get you what's in the service panel. Um, but it can get you, you know, the 96% of the other costs in the system, right. um, be able to help figure that out. Yeah. I think setting expectations is important with, with, with those things. Um, I'd like to circle back to the idea of trust. Um, Michelle, you shared a, your, your slide deck with me uh, from your virtual sales training uh, with SolarEdge. And I'm wondering why you think uh, control and peace of mind, uh, those were important ideas that you wanted to relay uh, customers, especially in the virtual space. Why is that so important? Yeah, I think it's less in the virtual space and more in the environment we're, we're working in right now. Mm. Um, a lot of sales representatives are getting the... Um, the objection that, you know, let's, let's move forward when this all blows over. I think that's probably the biggest one right now. Like let's let, let things settle down. Mm. Um, customers really need to realize that the energy bill is something you're always going to have to pay regardless of the, the economic conditions or what's going on. Um, and they want peace of mind with something. So um, being able to talk through peace of mind, I, I, I saw somebody in the chat mentioned battery we're seeing a lot of success with people adding batteries onto that initial contract right now so that they can talk about, um, you know, having backup power. So having control and peace of mind over your utility bill in a time that is somewhat unpredictable um, can be helpful in selling that, that value for the homeowner currently. Cool. Shane, um, you, you mentioned doing a interior walkthrough uh, with a customer, at least they sent you photos. 
Do you see it playing out that we might be doing that in the coming years? We, we also got a question from Steve uh, who mentioned uh, how one of their customers took pictures in the attic and, and the electrical panel. Um, I guess I have two questions. Is that something you, you picture doing in the future? And would you ever be comfortable going to contract with just that information that the customer is providing? Um, yeah, if the pictures are clear, I mean, I think that can help a lot in us getting the cost right. Because with those pictures of their panel or their attic, I mean, you know more of what you're getting into. And of course, we can do video, but if we're doing video of that, I'd rather it be recorded. Because at some point, I'm probably going to want to go back and go uh, over that with the team before mm -hmm. we actually uh, roll out to the site. So I can definitely see us using that in the future. Yeah. And what about on the contract side? Would you be comfortable going uh, to contract with just that information? Um. Yeah. I mean, in the end, I mean, you could always do a change order. I mean, uh, I prefer to have that information for the contract because if I don't actually see the wiring or what's going on and then I get out there after the contract per se, and then I've, as recently as October, I went in and took a panel cover off and they had their wire uh, undersized. So we had to actually already change, also change out that service, but the sales guy had already signed the contract. So then, you know, we had to work that out with the homeowner. So the more information I can get inside the house and what's going on with the attic and the wiring, the better I think for the contract. Joe, Vaughn, any thoughts on that? Joe, maybe we'll start with you. Um, are you. Would you be comfortable going to contract with just preliminary information like that? Well, we, we do contracts uh, up front and we use a fixed dollar per watt with whatever information we can garner from um, you know, Google or Eagle View. And then we'll do a change order afterward if we need to. Uh, and in most cases, uh, there's no issue. Uh, our change orders have gone down over time, like I mentioned. So. Yeah, we've done several of these virtual site surveys and, and really not had any issue. Uh, the customers seem to enjoy it because they're engaged in the process and they're sort of learning a little bit about what's going to be involved in their solar system. And with the technology we've got today, we can usually get pretty clear pictures. Um, we put together a slide deck that shows exactly what data we need. And we've actually been doing uh, Google Hangout Zoom meetings where our PV designer will walk the customer through their own home so they can make sure they're getting very clear pictures of what we need. So, so far, so good. Vaughn, do you have anything to add to that? I know you're probably working with a lot of older homes too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think on the going to contract, um, we've done a number of solarized projects here in the state a few years back. And during one of them, we tried something out, which was a solar ready buyer program, which would give folks a discount if they went to contract prior to us coming out to a site visit. And then, giving them an out in the contract should we find something that was, you know, outside of a certain dollar amount or percentage in terms of performance. We found in that Solarize program uh, that half of the half of the folks took us up on that. Now a Solarize project's a little bit different because of the trust and how those programs roll, but we rolled that into everything afterwards. And we find, you know, I think probably 15-ish percent of our customers do that. And so it gives them an incentive uh, they feel like they're getting a deal. It pulls people in as long as you're building a trust and showing them the really explicit back door. Um, and you're, you know, you're providing that back door for yourself as well, right? If you get right. in there, it needs a service upgrade or the roof needs to be totally rebuilt. Um, yeah. So 
yeah, there, there's some ways to go about it, I think, and really, again, add additional value for the customer. Great. We had a comment from um, John in the chat. He says, if the salesperson is comfortable using remote platforms, the customer will, be co will also be uh, comfortable. Um, helping the non-techie customer navigate the remote platform is a great way to build comfort and trust with the customer. Um, I could see this really playing out. Um, and I want to circle back with uh, Michelle about that. But Joe, you're in DC. Um, I think is the fact that you're using these modern virtual tools, scheduling appointments online, uh, offering flexibility to your customers, is that by itself an indicator of trust, you know, especially for younger people? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's always harder to build trust virtually than, than in person. Um, but I think that's a great point. It, anytime you can help somebody understand how to use a new platform, you're building trust and you're building that relationship. Um, and on the virtual site survey, I've been encouraging my team to actually sell on it. Um, so I don't think you necessarily need to provide a discount because it's something that customers so far have been really happy to help with. Um, they feel like they're engaged in the process. Um, they're making the process, the project go faster. They don't have to stay home from work uh, in pre-COVID world. Uh, so they can, you know, actually do it on their own time. So, so far that's been, been really good. And it does move projects faster because you don't have to schedule a time for someone to come out. Michelle, for people that, you know, maybe for older people who aren't as tech savvy, what are your recommend, recommendations for sales folks to help initially, you know, start those conversations, get them rolling? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think that um, I, I really agree with Joe um, in that, um, you know, it does help to build trust when they have that type of virtual platform along with the customer. It's really important for those ones that are um, not as tech savvy to slow down the process, um, really talk them through how it's going to work. Um, and I think that as sales consultants, we need to understand that um, it's not everybody that's going to be able to jump on a webcam quickly. It's not everybody that's going to be able to, you know, we still have customers that don't have emails, right? So um, there, there might be people this might not work for, and we need to focus on the ones that it will work for, but also, hey, if webcam doesn't work out for somebody, we can still do the screen share. We can still send things through email and walk them through stuff. So there's different levels of technical skill that we can work with. Um, it, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be, you know, on a webcam, really tech savvy. If we just walk through it slowly, make sure to pace along with that customer. Great. Um, so as we approach the end of our program, um, I'd like to bring Ben Davis up real quick from CALSA. Um, he offered to share some slides on solar permitting numbers in California in the past few weeks. And then we'll let a few more uh, questions come in through the chat and uh, we'll come back to those if we have time. Um, but Ben, are you able to, to share your screen and share a few of those numbers with us? Yes. And then I have a, a one or two follow-up questions for you as well. Cool. Are you seeing my screen? We are, yeah, great. Great. Uh, so uh, this is a snapshot of data. So Ben Davis, California Solar and Storage Association. Uh, we are, uh, unlike the other panelists, uh, we are not a solar company. We are the trade group uh, for solar companies in California. Um, you know, thank you to Tom for, for having me on. Uh, just here's a quick snapshot of, of 
permitting uh, statewide in California. So the graph that you're seeing is not, uh, it's not everything in the state, rather uh, it, the permitting data for specific AHJs, the one you see below, the ones you see below the graph were pulled uh, and then tabulated into the graph. Uh, so the key numbers uh, and what you see on the uh, horizontal axis, uh, the date figures, those are uh, the dates for the start of the week, not the end. Uh, so the last data point we have uh, are the data uh, for last week. Um, and as you can see, uh, permitting uh, was uh, highest uh, the first week of March, uh, and then it fell by uh, if, you know, second week of March was when, at least in California, we had the um, the statewide uh, stay-at-home order uh, permitting fell, and then uh, it fell uh, it fell again at the very uh, the first week of April. Um, a lot a lot of this is due to uh, the Bay Area, the, the San Francisco Bay Area uh, permitting uh, really went off a cliff. Uh, this is because the Bay Area was the first um, first place in California to institute their own stay-at-home orders. Uh, and then uh, the, on March 31st, they implemented even stricter stay-at-home orders. Uh, there's places like San Francisco, Fremont, Oakland uh, were permitting uh, really ground to a halt. They weren't doing any uh, solar permits. And then even once they restarted, uh, only on a case-by-case um, -case basis. Uh, and then here is a quick sna snapshot from outside the Bay Area. Uh, what we are seeing is uh, a lot of jurisdictions are, are, are similar to what we're seeing in places like Stockton, San Diego, and Fresno, where the week that there was a stay-at-home order, uh, the number of permits being issued really plummeted. Uh, this was in part uh, because uh, AHJs were closing their doors, and it was taking them a while for them to, uh, in some cases, taking a while for them to go online with permitting, and then also as uh, probably you know uh, better than I do, uh, solar companies took a step back, uh, reevaluated uh, how to um, how to change processes to uh, to maintain uh, social distancing guidelines, maybe one person, one truck, et cetera, and then they reopened. Um, so that's what we're that is a snapshot of what we're seeing across the state. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. appreciate that. Um, as a as a quick follow up to that, um, uh, you know, are are you seeing? And would would you mind uh, stopping your screen share real quick? Um, do you do you see us moving forward um, and AHJs uh, adopting more remote tools like we're seeing now? Do you see that being an ongoing thing? Yeah. So the good news is that at least in California, uh, prior to uh, Prior to COVID, there was one or two jurisdictions that had um, were using virtual inspections. Now we have a couple dozen jurisdictions that are doing virtual inspections, uh, mostly with um, you know, mostly that are live videos with Google Duo or FaceTime or Skype. Uh, and then to answer your question on whether or not um, you know this will, your question was whether or not this will continue. Yeah. Post COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think uh, that is a possibility. Uh, there's some jurisdictions that uh, really like <laughs> uh, 
going online. Um, other jurisdictions have told me uh, this is really just temporary uh, for COVID. Uh, so it, it varies across the board. Uh, I will say that in the, when the legislature returns, there's going to be a lot of focus on uh, what type of, where to put stimulus dollars uh, and I think there's an opening there uh, to send money to to building departments to get them to modernize and do things like go online uh, for ex- accept permit applications online, issue permit applications online, uh, allow payments online. So uh, there might be an opportunity to actually get funding for that. Um, and then uh, NFPA, uh, which as folks know, they they make the NEC. Uh, they are coming out with a guidance for video inspection. Uh, and, uh, and so that's really great. So you can see some jurisdictions that they get used to video inspection today. Uh, the pandemic is over. They say, all right, we're going to go back to in-person video inspection. And then the NFPA guidance, the NFPA, um, uh, the NFPA guidance comes out and it's, uh, and now there are, now there's a national code making body saying, hey, here are the ways that you can you can do virtual inspection safely. There's probably a number of AHJs that will look back and say, oh, co- virtual inspection, when we did it, that wasn't so bad. And now there's this national guidance and this national code making body providing us a path forward. Uh, we should reconsider uh, cool. and maybe go virtual. Great. Thanks for that insight, Ben. Really appreciate it. I want to take um, just one or two more questions. Um, Shane, I wanted to bounce it over to you. Do you use um, drones in your remote selling? What's and what um, tools are you using for that? Yes, um, um, I'm in central Illinois, not DC. So I do work in a lot of small towns where map services don't really make a whole lot of sense. So initially we might use, you know, Google Maps or what have you. But then I do end up uh, rolling out with a drone. I actually have one right here, just uh, <laughs> a DJI uh, Maverick Pro Platinum. Um, so what I do is, and what's nice, I guess, with that in this situation is I can go out to the home, but obviously I'm still, I can keep a distance um, from the homeowner and everyone can be comfortable. And then with the drone, um, I can get accurate dimensions and with Scanafly uh, make a 3D model that then I can actually send a link to them and they can check out what the solar will look like on the roof, which is really fun uh, for the customer. And like I said, it does give me accurate dimensions. So I don't have to actually get up there and uh, make sure that uh, the dimensions are correct. So that's nice. It saves time. Like I said, it's fun for the customer and it's also, you know, helps with safety issues of having more people on the roof. Great. Um, I want to try to squeeze in one or two more questions. Um, maybe we'll throw this one to, to you, Vaughn. We have a question on the engineering side um, and getting structural plans stamped. Have there been any hiccups with that uh, for those uh, maybe virtual site surveys? We're in Maine. There are no structural <laughs> permitting that really goes on up here. Uh, there's a little bit. So we haven't run into that too, too much. Um, you know, it is one of those pieces that my background is structural engineering. And it's sometimes you just, you have to get your eyes on it, especially depending upon the age of the housing stock, 
Um, you know, we've run into some stuff where things might look fine and there was a really bad ridge detail that blew that roof or even putting solar on it. So that is definitely one of those, you know, pitfalls you got to watch out for as you're going through this. Cool. Great. Ben, we had another question come in from for you. Um, how much of a difference is there in commercial versus residential uh, and new construction mm -hmm. versus uh, PV retrofit? Uh, residential, sorry, there's three categories, uh, resi retrofit, new uh, construction, uh, and then commercial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I think there, I was trying to follow the chat. Um, first off, the own data is actually residential and commercial uh, that I was showing on the screen. Um, regarding residential uh, retrofits, at least in California, um, a couple of years ago, California passed uh, AB 2188, which streamlined permitting uh, for small systems. And for systems smaller than 10 kW, all jurisdictions were supposed to have an online uh, permitting process or a fast over-the-counter process. So for jurisdictions that have implemented that, it's, you know, those online systems are mostly still up and still up and running. Um, so I think the residential that we are seeing um, is, is at least for small systems, is still chugging is still chugging along. Uh, for commercial, uh, I would say, and and I think uh, the, what I've been hearing uh, might slightly disagree with what I've been seeing in the chat. Um, but for jurisdictions where in the past you had to take your for the commercial system, you had to. Um, take your, like Los Angeles uh, city, for example, you can take your commercial plans in, uh, get your permit over the counter. Um, now you can't do that anymore. You have to submit your plans online. It has to jump, go through more hoops, takes a couple weeks. So for, I'm hearing that commercial systems, because they're bigger, more complicated, um, and moving those online, uh, issuing those permits uh, are, are uh, is happening a little slower, but to each jurisdiction their own um, and, and things vary across the board. Uh, and then in terms of new construction, um, I honestly uh, have, uh, have not heard much, uh, but all of the um, executive, all of the shelter in place orders pretty clearly carve out ex uh, exceptions for, for new construction specifically. Um, and there is a real effort that building departments are making to get new homes permitted, especially for affordable housing. Um, so I would expect that uh, new home for new uh, solar permitting for new home construction, uh, that's not being impacted. And in fact, oftentimes those permits are just part of the permit for the entire, are, are getting wrapped up in the permit for the entire house. Very cool. Thanks, Ben. Um, so I'd like to start to close out here, and I do want to end our session on a little bit of mindfulness um, and kick it over to Krista. Uh, she's been doing this uh, for the last few weeks, but I think now in, in the time that we're in, we could all just charge right ahead and then forget about uh, taking care of ourselves and, and what taking care of ourselves means for our ability to take care of others, for our families, for our employees, and all of that. So Krista, I think we only have a few minutes, but um, I do want to continue with your segment. So um, yeah, would you please take it away for us? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Tom. 
So we have been kind of going down a bit of a journey in these segments. So first talking about with this pandemic, how can we help people on the front lines with making sure that we're doing our best to stay healthy. Then talking about other aspects of health beyond physical health. So mental, emotional, psychological health, all of those things. Um, we had our first mindfulness practice last week and we talked a little bit about that as a self-care tip. But now I wanna go into a bit more about how mindfulness is beneficial beyond the act of self-care. So there's a great podcast um, featuring Jim Detmer. Um, we shared it throughout our company. We can share it in the show notes as well. But he introduces the concept of a horizontal line. So this does tie into mindfulness, and I hope you all will stay with me on this. But if we look at this horizontal line, at any point in the day, we can be above it or we can be below it. So if we're operating below the line, hopefully you guys can read my notes here. Um, things like anger, shame, and fear kind of operating reactively, react, <laughs> reactively um, from those places. If we're operating above the line, we're operating from a place of love and curiosity. Um, I don't know about all of you, but my base level of stress is higher with everything that's going on. And I am uh, more often finding myself operating out of frustration, being a little bit more short-tempered, those types of things. So with this idea of a mindfulness practice, being able to identify where I'm at and stop and say, you know, do I want to approach this from a different way is really beneficial. So in this podcast with Jim Detmer, he walks through three different questions to ask yourself and then kind of how to evaluate what's going on. So the first question is, am I above the line or below the line at any moment? And this takes a little bit of emotional intelligence, which I think mindfulness can help out with being able to identify where we're at. Um, when you're identifying if you're above or below the line, thinking about, am I approaching this from shame or frustration or fear? Am I approaching this from love or curiosity? Then the second question is really the hardest one. Can I accept myself for being where I am? Um, if you can't expect yourself, or if you can't um, accept yourself for being where you are, then you just kind of pile on and you kind of go farther below the line. So being able to say, this is where I am, I accept it. Um, and then you can move on to the third question. How do I approach this from above the line instead of where I currently am? Um, looking from above the line or approaching it from above the line is really a place of authenticity, vulnerability, and candor is a key indicator of being above the line. So in this situation, it could be, um, you know, tying it into the conversation we're having about the virtual site assessments or virtual selling. How can I best support my customer through this time using this platform? Um, what's the, what kind of outcomes can I shoot for here instead of, well, how are we supposed to sell if we can't talk to a customer? But reframing that and coming from above the line and approaching it that way, I think is really beneficial. So I'm going to keep encouraging you guys to practice um, mindfulness and thinking about that because there are other implications around innovation and creativity that I think it can open us up to. Great. Thank you very much, Krista. Appreciate that. So um, just a few notes, uh, and then I want to kick it over to Boaz to close it up. Um, thanks, first of all, to all of our uh, panelists today, Michelle Spina from SolarEd, Shane Helly, uh, Joe Marhamati, uh, Vaughn Woodruff, and Ben Davis. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. This was, I think, a really great conversation. Uh, a lot of interesting points came up, and I, and I think we could definitely do the same segment again. Uh, we got a lot of questions coming through. And uh, for the audience, if your questions didn't get answered the ch in the chat, we'll try to um, we'll answer them uh, directly 
um, in our follow-up. So a quick reminder that Baywa RE and Unirac have partnered together to offer free solar contract permitting services uh, through May 15th, 2020. You can learn more per, uh, by emailing permits at unirac.com. And our next mindfulness session, like the one Krista mentioned, is this Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, and you can check out our website, solar-distribution.com, and we'll send out that info in the follow-up as well, along with the podcast that Krista mentioned. So Boaz, um, would you please uh, wrap us up? Appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'll be brief. Uh, as, as it has been for the last couple of weeks, um, it's an honor to be with all of you, uh, both presenters and speakers and um, all the attendees who made time today to join us and ask great questions. As Tom said, any questions that didn't get answered are being captured and we're going to do our best to answer those offline. Um, I loved... I, I, Anybody who works with me knows that that I'm always looking for the big themes or the the model that ties content together. And um, my big takeaway from today was about how digital tools are an opportunity to create uh, trust with customers. And um, I think uh, Michelle made a great point about how we set expectations and fulfill them as a way of building trust. And, um, and there were some other great comments um, and, and also um, about linking digital resources and non-digital resources, like having an expert salesperson supporting the digital process and making sure that um, the, the customer touch points that need human um, connection for any number of reasons get that and the digital touch points are um, supporting customer value creation and building trust in other ways. And I love the participant comment about how introducing digital tools to a customer who might not be comfortable with them is also an opportunity to build trust. So that's what I'm taking away from this session. There were a lot of specific tools mentioned and I'm sure many of you are interested in those. And I'm walking away with um, really, this is all about trust and um, consumers are putting their um, energy strategy in your hands. You're putting your business strategy in our hands and we all need to um, think about how we um, build and reinforce trust in that process. So um, that's it for, for me. Thank you all very much again and I'm looking forward to next week.